You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 65 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson. Welcome back, and Peter Barracchini. Lots to talk about on the show this week. We're going to get Alex's uh, take on the Spezza suspension. Uh, Marner out longer than expected, and what the hell is going on in Arizona? But first, Alex, it's been a while. How are you doing, bud? Um, I'm doing well, man. I had a... I... <laughs> I got sick twice in the past three weeks. Not not COVID, thankfully. I, I took a couple rapid tests and uh, didn't didn't happen. But uh, yeah, I just this nasty seasonal flu that's going around. My sinuses were just giving me hell. And yeah, I, I had a I I kind of had the way to school crashing down on me a little bit as well. But things have finally started to clear up. I'm just kind of heading into my last week of school, and I don't have any notable exams that I know of. So looking good. But I'm happy to be back today, boys, because I I've got something that some exciting news to share and it's not not really exciting for the pod I, I mean it could be exciting for the pod but like it's it, it's comes from my personal life i am excited to announce that men's division 10 ball hockey is back for a winter season <laughs> beautiful so, so your 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 sunday updates on ball hockey is uh uh they're back and you know what uh you i, I know why we were in division 12 in the fall but in the winter i guess there's only 10 divisions so we've been upgraded to division 10 by default Hey, it, you know what? You got to take the step up. No matter how you get mm-hmm. the boost to, to Division Ten, you got to take the step up. Exactly. We celebrate all sorts of victories here. I feel like the, I feel like the meme. You know, the guy who's like popping champagne on himself and biting the medal, and he's on the third podium or whatever. Finger yeah, that's, that's kind of what I feel like right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it was it just to give you a Cliff Notes version since I missed last week, or I guess this would have happened after last week anyways, but uh, first game of the season, we had our Ottawa senators moment early. We uh, had a five, one lead and we lost six, five in overtime. It was a tough game for us, but then tonight was a pretty wicked game. Uh, We, uh, we were down three to two um, in the dying seconds of the third period. We scored to tie it up with one second left. Then yours truly puts home the overtime winner. Like 30 seconds in on a wraparound. Is that hard for that? Oh, buddy, did I ever. <laughs> Division 10 men's ball hockey, you got to take all the victories you can get, man. And I'm pretty sure just based off tonight alone, I'm leading the league in scoring. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna just take that while I can. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to flex on it until I inevitably, be, inevitably get passed by half the league. But Please tell me you threw your glove up in the air and did the Timu Solani. I didn't. I'm saving that for a playoff oh, game. Damn it, I'm man! Saving that for a playoff. I I, I opted for the uh, the Jason Spezza actually the singular fist pump across. There you go. It's that okay. Was, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Just disappointed. Yeah, I know. It's not <laughs> not the first time I've been told that, Peter. It's okay. Well, there you go. The ode to Jason Spezza oh, from the leading scorer of Division Ten men's ball hockey, Alex Hobson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, on the other side, there we've got the intellect, uh, Peter Barracchini. Peter, what's going on, bud? Yeah, for those, uh, he, he said intellect. I got glasses on the pod now, first time <laughs> in a long time. And I do wear them. It's just I'm very lazy to put them on. So I thought, hey, when, I forgot to take them off, but I'm just like, might as well keep them on. Peter, you uh, kind of look like you're about to sell me the newest iPhone 13R. <laughs> well, <laughs> Apple, if you're listening, uh, give me a yeah. job, you know. Um, Based on um, looks alone, I would hire you on the spot. Not going to lie. 
got that hipster look going on, you know. Um, I'm doing good, man. A very eventful week. I'm going to start off with two stories. One just happened hours ago, just like around three, four o'clock. I'm just relaxing, watching Home Alone, you know, got the Christmas mood going on. And then all of a sudden, I see my hallway light just turn on. It was off. It turns on. And I'm looking around. I'm like, what the hell just happened? And I see my sister come down and she, and I'm just like, yeah, can you shut the light? And then she's just like, wait, was the light on? And I'm like, it just turned on. So I think I have a ghost in my house and I'm scared shitless right now. In case anything happens to the podcast or if my internet goes out, I'm blaming whatever's haunting my house right now. But my second story is, and this is more fan like fanning out like fanboy moment or whatever um i ordered a shirt from august burns red their main store it was a black friday sale so i thought hey i I treat myself to a t-shirt and what happened was my package was a little bit delayed it was at one facility for about a week and i was getting a little bit concerned i'm not too you know freaking out because i know it's a holiday rush and everything so I sent an email to the contact for the web for the website and be like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm just following up on my package, sent my order number. And the name that I saw on the on the email was the exact same name of the guitarist from the band. So I think he does their merch orders and stuff like that. So shout out to Brent Rambler. You just made my week for replying to an email about a t-shirt that I ordered from your website. So that's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm keeping that email. I'm pinning it. I'm favoriting it. I'm not deleting that because that was like my moment for one of my favorite bands right now. You, did you mention the fact that you're a drummer and that you're a drummer for uh, well, specifically? They're definitely not going to replace me with Mac Reiner because that guy is a <laughs> boss. Not with that attitude. Come on. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I mean, I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> so, so what I took away from this whole thing, though, is that you're able to turn things on with no hands. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I, 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 I still think that hey, it's know, Sunday that... night. <laughs> um, sticks uh... in the six after dark. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, I say silence, that. I say that as silence. if like every edition of Sticks in the Six is an after dark. Yeah. I think the we're silence getting... speaks volumes. <laughs> we're we're get... yeah crickets. Eh. Like tough crowd. Um... I, I laugh. <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, we all did. But... I was granted. I was partly laughing at Peter's expression, but I mean, both both had me chuckling. <laughs> you know what? It's it's okay. My wife always tells me I'm not funny. I think I honestly think I could be like a Burt Kreischer. You know, I'm a big guy. Step up on stage, take the shirt off, and right right away you're getting laughs, right? But uh, I, I'm kindly brought down to earth every once in a while by my wife just staring at me when I make a joke, and um, it's a reminder that uh, you know once I get up there, I'm probably not as funny as I think I am. At least it's not, not the dad jokes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to say, like, I'm not married and I know nothing about marriage, but I'm pretty sure one of the unspoken rules is that if your wife gives you that look, it means you're doing, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. See, I, I think the same thing. I think yeah. the same thing. See, I, I'm in your corner, Forbes, as a, as a single man in my early 20s who's never been married before never put a ring on somebody I, i'm in your corner so tell your wife that next time that you've got you've got the support of somebody who's not married 
There you go. I actually there had you a go. process. I actually had a process what you said for a second there. I'm like, wait, what? And then I'm like, okay, now I get it. I was I was sitting on that for the entire second story there because I was like, man, this is <laughs> like I I just wanted to spit it out, but you know, us us being Canadian, all we we try not to interrupt as as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, boys, uh, great. I had a great week. Um, we have this thing here in uh, just outside of London that uh, they call the magic of the lights. And, uh, basically it's a, um, it, it's a, uh, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a park that they've turned into, um, basically all the lights that you can think of. So they've got a bridge that you're just crossing and it's just flashing lights. They've got a, a radio station that's got, you know, um, tunes that are playing the Christmas tunes that are playing. And, uh, we took our little guy and, uh, he got to ride in the back seat with grandpa and then uh, got a little front seat time with, with mom and got a, got an Aww. opportunity to see all the Christmas lights. And it, uh, I gotta say, like, I, I've been, I've been really debating starting like a 15 minute episode podcast about fatherhood where, you know, we just talk about the crazy shit that goes on in, in, in being a dad, because my wife was telling me the other day that, uh, she's part of a Facebook group and so many people are talking about not telling their kids that Santa is like, basically they're, they're going to hold off and, and tell their kids that Santa isn't real and not, not have that magic of Christmas. Right. And so we're at a, we're at a, like, obviously we're going to tell our, our son that, you know, Santa's real and, and play that up. Cause I don't think it's damaged mm-hmm. me. I don't think it damaged my wife. I think it's a fun little thing that adds to the magic of Christmas. And the fact that people are even thinking about how it can hurt their kids in the future because they've lied to their kids is a complete and utter joke. And so for us to do that, to see the lights, to, to kind of get that Christmas spirit going, uh, man, it was, it was a great week. It was a great week. That's good. That's great to hear Forbes. But what what are you saying? Santa's not real. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I don't think I, 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 I think those moms in the group are full of shit. I, 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 yeah i i have reason to believe that santa is indeed real and i'm not mm-hmm. gonna let anybody uh turn me away so hey look if there's a guy in the believe. sky that's controlling everything that goes on in this earth there's a guy in the north pole that's making toys for kids okay exactly that's mm-hmm. the way i see it that's other reason to believe norad always sets up to track santa so right. obviously this guy is flying through the air they're keeping an eye they're they're in constant communication with them so yeah Absolutely. Take a chill, you know. The NORAD Santa Tracker was my absolute favorite part of Christmas. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And even hearing like like, updates on the radio, too, I would hear, and it's just like, oh, Santa's over here now. I'm like, he's close to us. He's close to us. I'd be at at my grandparents' house on Christmas Eve, and I'd come running down the stairs like two o'clock in the afternoon. Mom, mom, Santa's in Moscow. (laughs) (laughs) And she'd be like, that's great, honey. Oh Jesus! Yeah, so ten more I, hours before he comes over to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always try to stay up and like watch him, watch him yeah. like, get into Ontario. But then I'd always lose that battle and fall asleep, and then you know wake up and see my dad sprinting up from downstairs. <laughs> not at all, not at all, pretending to be Santa. <laughs> uh, Probably just greeting him at the door, yeah, or at the chimney rather, or yeah, just I'm saying a- bye. You know. I think my wife's got a horrific like finding out Santa's not real story, but uh, 
we'll, we'll save that for another, another time. Um, save that closer to Christmas. Cause I have one too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about that, but yeah, yeah, guys, it was, it was a great week. Um, and as I mentioned off the top of the show, we get, we have a lot to talk about. Um, I, before we get to leave talk, I do want to just mention that, um, this this past week, Demarius Thomas, uh, obviously not hockey related, but Demarius Thomas passed away at the age of thirty three. Uh, right now, it is they are they are saying that it is um, it was health related. Um, you know, we don't we don't like to speculate when it comes to that kind of stuff, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a sad moment for for you know the Bronco family and and uh, you know all those around him that uh, loved and cared for him. And obviously, you know, we we never want to see. So I, I'm thirty three, so I like me immediately when i saw that i just you know kind of relate a little bit and and uh you know it's sad news it's heartbreaking and and uh, especially this time of year when when family matters the most it's uh you know it's one of those things that you know you don't want to kick off a show with but uh, it's something that we do do want to mention Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah rest in peace uh leaf talk let's let's get this out of the way because i know (laughs) i know all of us are gonna have some 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 big things to talk about here, but uh, the Jason Spezza suspension. Now this guy has done it with class. He's, he's sitting up in that press box, suit and tie smile on his face. Bobbit and um, music. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's vintage. It's vintage mm-hmm. at his best. And yet I'm still sitting here curdling at the thought that it's a six game suspension for a guy that, you know, is, is chasing down a thousand career points. Um, Peter, I'm going to throw it to you first because we kind of talked about this a little bit last week and in, in the fact that Pionk got two games and, and Spezza was likely going to get more with the in-person hearing. What are your thoughts on the six-game suspension for Jason Spezza? Again, I'm going to try and be PG or at best PG-13 because uh, it, it, it was an absolute joke. Um that's not to say that Spezza didn't deserve a suspension because it was, you know, very retaliatory. We all knew the intention behind it, but six games for a guy who hasn't had any prior history, none whatsoever gets already the book thrown at him. Meanwhile, you still have incidences that involve Tom Wilson who has a lengthy suspension history and gets away basically with a fine for, you know, ragdolling a player. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess this kind of just sets the precedent of where the NHL is at right now. Like, if you want to send a message, at least send a message, but be consistent about it. The fact that they're not consistent with everything that they're doing in regards to supplementary discipline, it's an absolute joke. And we talked about it last week, the officiating, the way that they hand out suspensions, it's, it's comical at this point. And the fact that I was hoping four or five, I'm being realistic. The fact that it got more than that and it got more than Brandon Lemieux who got five games for biting Brady Kachuk. It again, it's a joke. And I, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to end it right there before I regret saying anything else, but six games way too much it deserves a suspension but i think the consistency factor is just non-existent and they have a precedent set like even earlier this week ian cole i believe got fined for a neon mark shifley meanwhile peon got suspended two games probably should have been more the fact that maybe he doesn't have a suspension history he gets two games spets gets the six no consistency there because of the fact that he doesn't have a history ian cole no history, but he gets a fine. So it's like, 
where where do we go from here? What's the problem? Stop just throwing out or like, you know, throwing a dart at like suspension lengths or penalties and everything like that, because that's basically what they're doing at this point right now. Yeah, I mean, you say they set a precedent, but have they really set a precedent? Because realistically, like the inconsistency in itself is what, like, I'll tell you right now, for the last three, four years, I've been criticizing this Department Mm -hmm. of Player Safety. Um, Not just, obviously not just because Leafs have been suspended, but just in general, the consistency level is awful. You talk about Tom Wilson against the Rangers last season where he received what was it? A $5,000 fine. fine. Yeah. Uh, you talk about the four slew foots that PK Subban has, has done this year. And he's had a $15,000 fine at most. Um, you talk about the Ian Cole knee, you talk about Neil Pionk's knee. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that Pionk got two games for what he did. And the argument was made to me after the, the Spezza suspension was announced six games. I kind of had one of my infamous uh, Twitter rants and, just said you know six games like it's sickening it's disgusting it's it's you know it's awful and I had one commenter come back and say you know what well it was it was intent to injure well when you stick your knee out against somebody else's knee is that is that not intent to injure yeah especially with Pionk's history of what he did to Marner last year I mean Mm -hmm. that's that's to me is is where this needs to change is because the the inconsistencies have been going on for far too long. And maybe, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's George Peros and, and maybe he's just not getting his job done properly. Maybe it's, maybe it's higher than him. I don't know. Yeah. But the fact that you have a guy who's, you know, for 1200 games in his career has not had any history of being a, an absolute ass hat on the ice. Um, and you're going to go there and s- suspend him for six games. Um, look, he was going to hit Neil Pionk whether he was going down or not. And then when he went down, yeah, his, his knee made contact with Pionk's head and he deserved to be suspended three games, maybe four games. Sure. When you're talking about six games, I mean, it's, it's a joke. It it really is a joke. And Mm -hmm. Alex, uh, you kind of missed out on last week's talk, but what are your thoughts on, on the whole situation with, you know, Pionk's two-game suspension. Now he's in, uh, you know, obviously concussion protocol. Uh, and then now Spezza's six games and uh, where we're at with Sandine being out two to three weeks. Yeah, Peter, I respect you keeping it PG-13, but I'm not going to. That was a fucking joke. <laughs> Absolute fucking joke. Um, and, you know, I, just like you, Forbes, I went on Twitter and I had one of my one of my little rants too, probably said a couple of things that I shouldn't have, but... You know, it's just so embarrassing and so much harder to stomach when you know that it, all this could have been prevented if the refs just simply did their jobs. And I, t- I, was t- I was telling Peter this morning on Maple Leafs Lounge, like, you don't ever want to be that guy that sits there and blames the refs over and over because it makes you sound like a sore loser. And truth be told, the Leafs didn't probably didn't deserve to win that game against Winnipeg on Sunday anyways. However, if the refs do their job, and they call that knee on knee that Brad Meyer was standing right in front of. Um, and if he calls that knee on knee by Neil Pionk on Rasmus Sandin, Leafs get a power play. And I feel like Jason Spezza probably wasn't, doesn't have the need to go after Pionk like that. And then we avoid all this discourse. We, we avoid him throwing a knee at, or throwing a shoulder at Pionk's head. Uh, we avoid all the fights that come afterwards. We avoid Logan Stanley celebrating like he just won the cup as he skates off the ice. 
for being the third man in on Wayne Simmons and getting tossed out of the game. You know, it's, it's, it's a joke. And there, there, you guys, I mean, I, 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 there's nothing really else that I could say that, that you guys haven't said already, but um, I said this the other day, it's watching these games has gotten so much more exhausting than it has to be just because you know, and everybody knows it's the worst kept secret in the, in the league. It's not even a secret at this point because Tim Peel got fired over it, but you know that the refs are managing games and you know that they're letting some of the most egregious plays go unscathed. And at the same time, they're calling some of the, the, the most minuscule, cheapest, dumbest plays as penalties. Like, I, like you, you can't even touch someone with your stick anymore or else they'll call you. They'll, they'll give you a slashing penalty. And so at this point, I've, I, I, and you know what, like I, I've seen bad calls before and there have been times when I've been like, yeah, you know, that should have been a penalty, but usually I can get over it. But within, especially these past two years, it's just, I honestly am at a point where I have no idea what to expect from officiating anymore. You could show me, you could show me your standard tripping penalty and I would not know if the refs would call it. You could show me your standard slashing penalty. I wouldn't know if the refs would call it. You could show me a fucking headshot and I wouldn't know if the refs would call it. Because there's no consistency. It's it, it, you know, Peter, you mentioned how they're throwing darts at a board, uh, deciding on lengths for suspensions and dollar amounts for fines and stuff like that. They're throwing darts at a board to determine what to call a penalty at this point yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the NHL's got like three or four fucking dart boards going right now, and they're using it to they're using it to solve all their problems. And you know, like like Peter said, I'm not really going to ramble on any further because I'm not going to say anything that you guys, I'm sure, talk tackled last week and again I'm, I'm kind of upset that i missed out on that because i was i was heated on sunday <laughs> but you know yeah i mean you guys pretty much nailed all the points and i guess one more thing to say is once again i feel like there could be some fans from other teams who listen to this and go all oh, these typical salty lead fans bitching about the officiating or whatever i recognize that this is a problem league-wide peter you mentioned all the yeah. different comparisons like that the knee the, that the neon knee that Ian Cole threw Mark Shifley. I'm sure Jets fans were pissed off about that, which I think is kind of ironic, but at the same time, I'm also, you can, you can have, you can have an unbiased opinion and look at that and say, yes, that should have been called. It should have been a penalty. And yeah, yeah, Jason Spezza definitely should have gotten suspended because I know for a fact that if somebody on the Jets went through that exact same hit on Spezza, we would be calling for their heads too. And I don't think anyone's denying that Spezza shouldn't have gotten that, shouldn't have gotten that suspension, but like the other part that bugs me too, and I, I, I realize that I've tried to cut myself off like three times and then thoughts just keep coming to my head. But honestly, like the other part that really pisses me off is the fact that Rasmus Sandin is out for three weeks. And at the time he couldn't even, he could barely even get himself off the ice on his own. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know if he was going to be missing the rest of the season or anything like that. Neil Pionk finished the game and coincidentally went into concussion protocol on the day that Spetsas here had his hearing. So it's like, I don't know. I, I like I understand why Spets's hit was dangerous, and I understand yes, he should, definitely should have given him a suspension for that. But in the end, how does the guy who injures the a young defenseman like Sandine, who doesn't cause any sort of trouble in the league, on the injured list for three weeks? How are you going to give him two games and then give Jason Spetsa, the veteran of over twelve hundred games, who has never had a reputation for doing anything like this, who didn't even injure the guy that he hit on the play? You're going to give him six games, and you're going to give Pionk two games. And I was saying earlier as well, Neil, Neil Pionk has a reputation, and it's starting to grow a little bit. You don't really think of him when you think of dirty players around the league, but this is not the first time that he's pulled some greasy shit like this. Like you mentioned, the, that run he took at Marner after the empty net goal this year. 
he, he's got a bit of a reputation building and it's just, it, it's ridiculous. Like he's got more of a history in his what, like three, four years in the league than Spezza does after his what, 17 years in the league. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it, it's ridiculous. And there's nothing really else for me to say about it. So I am going to stop myself right here, but yeah, just, I can't say I'm surprised, but yeah, it's a joke either way. I'm just yeah, going to say this as well. Um, a few weeks ago, Josh Morrissey took a whack at someone's leg on an empty net goal. There yeah, was Mark Texier. There was that. There was Mark Shifley last year taking a run at a vulnerable and unsuspecting Jake Evans. So you have Pionk doing this. You saw what Morrissey did. You saw what Shifley did. This is starting to become like a really you know nasty group to play against. And you want to have that mentality that you want to be tough against. But that's. Again, that, that, that's what Matthew said about that. What Matthew said about that game—that's that was a gong show game. That that's like that, that's like goon level stuff right there. And now you you piss off a team like the Maple Leafs. You they got they got guys who could come in, step up, and stand up for everyone on their team. You, you don't want to mess with Simmons. You don't want to mess with Clifford. You don't want to mess with Spezza right now because those three guys right now on that fourth line. Oh man, when that game comes back on March 31st, they definitely are not going to forget what happened that game. Yeah, I said it last week, uh, Alex. I I think Winnipeg's arguably the the dirtiest team in the league right now, and uh, yeah. you know that dates back to last season and uh, and what we saw against Montreal. And um, you know, you mentioned it, Alex, that we're not sitting here saying that the Leafs should have won that game because of that play. We're, we all three of us, I think can agree that the Leafs weren't going to win that game. The Leafs weren't going to win that game. Um, it would have been a miracle if they did. Absolutely. And, and we're not sitting here that saying that it's only calls going against the Leafs. We're, we're, we're sitting here recognizing that there's a problem in the league and the officiating yeah. is a problem. And whether you, you, hold them accountable by making them available to the media after the game, which has been mentioned on a number of occasions so they can explain why they made certain calls or you have them mic'd up all game and you can hear everything that they're saying because we've seen it with Tim Peel. We've seen the fact that they have an agenda that they are creating in every single game and whether it be, you know, purposeful or not, it's, it's changing the outcome and what happened against Winnipeg was an absolute joke. Simmons never should have had to, to go where he went. Clifford never should have had to go where he went. And, you know, fortunately the Leafs had those two in the lineup. And fortunately um, Winnipeg had Logan Stanley in the lineup because he walked off like he was the heavyweight champion of the world because what he got punched in the face a couple times. Um Look, I had a couple Jets fans come at me after I said what I said, and I, I don't understand it because, you know, it, it happened, like you said, uh, not shortly after with Ian Cole and being one of their one of their guys. And, and it, it is kind of, you know, poetic justice, I guess, if you want. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is here. I think, you know, obviously we talked about – Sandine being out two to three weeks. I think that's the best case scenario. Um, seeing, seeing what happened to him and um, you know, for the Leafs to be down arguably one of their better defensemen from this season so far, um, you know, it just kind of goes to show you where the league's at in, in, in they've thrown, I don't think there's one person in that office anymore that knows what that rule book says. 
No. Um, no. I think that rule book's it. just been thrown out the window. Yeah, they, I probably took the words out of your mouth right there. But no, I was just gonna say they've yeah. they've retired it to the Hockey Hall of Fame and put it behind glass windows, and and you know it's an artifact now more than an actual to the rule book. Absolutely, <laughs> it, it, it's it's sad. It really is sad because you've taken a game that so many people yeah. love and, and and enjoy, and you've you've basically shit over every rule that was put in place to control you know, and police this game. And that's exactly like the point that I was trying to get at there when I was saying that games have become so much more exhausting to watch. Like, it's <laughs> I've never really felt like I've had to say that before. I've never I've never once sat down and watched a hockey game and been like, this is exhausting. And okay. To be clear, you know, being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan obviously can be exhausting, but I'm talking about sitting down and watching the game itself. But you're you're, and, you're not enjoying it anymore. You're sitting on edge wondering what call is going to go against what team dude, next. When the Leafs get a power play early on in the game, I can't even enjoy it because I'm just like – or sorry, I can't even enjoy the game after that because I'm just thinking, uh, you know, the, the whoever they're playing, they're going to get the next call. And yeah. I'm just waiting for it to happen because it that like they don't even try to hide it anymore. It's pretty ridiculous, honestly. They just they they make it blatantly obvious that they'll go out and they'll miss an obvious call and then they'll call something super shitty to make up for it. And it, at that point, you know, the NHL talks about wanting to expand their viewership and they talk about you know their struggles marketing and like appealing to younger crowds and like getting more people involved with the game. And officiating's a big one, man. Yeah. Like, no, and I think it, I think they've they've proven over the last month or so that when it comes to growing the game, they don't give a shit because what they've done in the last month or so, and and this is not just about officiating now. This is about everything that we've seen this game go through. Um, the the ability to grow the game is there. The want to grow the game from that old boys club is not there. It's it's they they want to buy their viewership, and that's unfortunately that that's going to in this this day and age you're not going to get that yeah um i we should mention peter like you mentioned they they will face off again uh march 31st um you can almost guarantee that clifford will be in the lineup simmons will be in the lineup and i i'm not condoning this i should i should say that i'm not condoning this but i if i'm kyle connor if i'm mark shifley if i'm connor hellebuck i'm i'm watching i i've got my eyes open i'm looking every direction and i'm washing my back because i do think that there's going to be some redemption at some point yeah for sure yeah um i mentioned it last week it wouldn't surprise me if well i again i don't condone it but it wouldn't surprise me if i was in that situation and i was Sheldon keith i'd do what john tortorella did that one game where there was going to be enforcers versus enforcers but i'm going to play my fourth line very first shift send a message right then and there and say, hey, you, you want to play like that? You want to play the way that you did just recently? All right, we haven't forgot them. We're going to play like that. So if they're going to, you know, talk the talk and do what they do on the ice, they better walk the walk. Because if they turtle like they did, and we saw Pierre-Luc Dubois turtle a few times, looking for the ref when Nick Ritchie was starting to look, after, look at him and everything like yeah. that. Can I, can I interrupt here? Shout out Go Jesse ahead. Pollock for calling Pierre-Luc Dubois everything that embodies the city of Winnipeg and using the word specifically tough and gritty. I didn't realize the definition of tough and gritty was hiding on the bench for the second half of the fucking third period. Played one shift in those last 10 minutes after after he noticed Sheldon Keefe Sheldon starting to throw Wayne Simmons and Kyle Clifford out there on the ice. So just, yeah. just wanted yeah, to Yeah, you guys might out. notice how I left him out when I was talking about their stars. Uh, I don't consider him a star. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't done anything... 
when it comes to making that team uh, worthy of watching. So, um, yep. and, and we, I should mention too, that we have to say that we, uh, we don't condone it because there are a bunch of asshats out there on Twitter that think that the immediately when I say, you know, go after those players that I'm saying, yeah, I would, I would do the same thing. Um, I, I just, we, we've watched this league long enough that we know that, that, that tends to be the, the response when it comes to injuring a player and, and not getting, you know, what, what's coming. So here's the thing with the players that we have, they're, they're going to fight to fight. They're not going to fight to, you know, do what Neil Pion did. They're not going to do any attempt to injure. We've seen Wayne Simmons fight and stand up for everything that's happened in the past. We've seen the same thing with Clifford. They fight for a purpose. They're not fighting to be goons, kind of like what Tom Wilson does, you know, looking for something to be a part of. They're going to send a message, and that's why they were brought in. That's why Kyle Dubas re-brought Kyle Clifford, and that's why they re-signed Wayne Simmons to have that toughness, to have that mentality, to say that they we're not going to be pushed around. That 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 to me is the message that they're going to send. I don't think I don't think they're going to. I mean. You, you could bet that they're going to make life difficult for Shifley or Wheeler. I mean, Connor, if they do play up against them, I doubt it because they're going to see the fourth line minutes or anything like that. But if there comes a time where they do see them, you can tell that they're going to go and take a run at them clean, but they're going to, you know, make their presence felt. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and we talked about Sandine's injury. Mitch Marner was placed on long-term IR uh, for the Maple Leafs this week. Uh, opened up about, uh, well, a whole lot of cash for this team and and uh, might be going down the Kucherov uh, route at some point. But uh, I was right. just thinking that. How long yeah. before the Maple Leafs go out and get a $7, 8000000 million winger? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it, it is tough to see, obviously. Uh, you know, I posted on, on Twitter the uh, the numbers that the Leafs have with without Marner in the lineup. And, you know, they've been outscored. They, they've uh, they've lost 11 games in the past, I believe, 27. Um, so, it, it, I mean, it does hurt the team, but at the same time, it, it is a little bit of cap relief in that sense. The crazy part about all of this is that it was an injury that happened in practice. And... You know, we saw the video with Muzzin and Marner kind of going at it. And now we're kind of getting an idea that maybe it was a little bit more serious than we first thought. But Alex, what, uh, what, what's this team going to do without a guy like Mitch Marner? Um, I think they're going to do all they can do. And that's just keep rotating in guys and uh, try and find something that works until he gets back. I think right now um, the Leafs have found something that works on that top line with Bunting and Kasha on either side. And, you know, personally, I've been an advocate for Andre Kasha or Andre Kasha. My apologies. That's how you pronounce his name. I've been an advocate for getting Andre Kasha some, um, some top six minutes ever since um, he got to Toronto, essentially. And I mean, you know, I, I really liked him on that third line with David, with David Kempf and Pierre Engvall or Nick Ritchie, whoever you want to put there. But I think that he's got the talent to play in the top six and, I think he's done a great job kind of replacing him on the power play as well. I mean, you looked at that game we talked about, I get Peter against Tampa Bay. Andre, Ka- Andre Kasha gets put on the power play for the first time all year, 10 seconds into his first power play, he scores. And, you know, this is a guy that was on pace for 20 goals uh, last or the, sorry, the year before last year, because he was in, he missed most of the season injury. Uh, it's a guy that scored 20 goals, if I recall correctly, the year before. And it's a guy who's got a lot of potential and he, you know, he's kind of, his value's kind of been diminished um, 
over the fact that he's had those injury issues. But I think if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a key part in replacing Mitch Marner while he's gone. And, uh, you know, you're right, Forbes. It does suck that the Leafs are without him right now because he is a big part of this team. I know he's a bit of a polarizing player in Toronto, especially after his start to the season and his lack of production in the playoffs last year. But like it or not, Mitch Marner is one of the best players on this team. And the Leafs are better when he's in the lineup. So um, it it is going to be – it is unfortunate that he's, you know, going to miss the amount of time that he's going to right now. I was personally a little surprised to see that because even looking at the practice footage, I didn't see the collision itself, but I saw after they were kind of beacon at each other, Marner was skating around and he looked, you know, he looked a little banged up, but he didn't look like missing a month's worth of play banged up. And uh, I guess, so I guess he just suffered a setback somewhere there and uh, it's unfortunate, but um, I think this team's deep enough to at least be able to keep their heads above the water without, with him out of the lineup. Yeah, you mentioned polarizing player. I mean, this is a guy that obviously the the, the fans in, in Leaf Nation love to hate uh, when he's not doing well and love to love when he is, you know, putting the puck in the net and, and, and grabbing those apples. But um, I think it's pretty clear. And what's interesting is that I think this team, this fan base rather, is going gonna, is gonna to understand just how important this guy is to the team over the next month in, in recognizing that, you know, the teams without him, the teams without – Sandine over the next few weeks and even even Spezza being that that kind of quarterback on the fourth line Peter do you think the fan base is gonna maybe recognize it and and I want to say gain a little bit more respect in terms of what Marner brings to this lineup seeing what the hockey team is going to be like without him um they should because we're seeing uh, what happened just this past weekend to tie in with what um you know we saw with the columbus blue jackets tampa bay lightning the um chicago blackhawks where the toronto maple leafs looked like you know they got a really good start against columbus saw 5-1 lead evaporate to 5-4 including you know a 5-3 goal with like three, four minutes remaining, and then a final one from Max Domi with like 0.4 seconds left. Really great start against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and turnovers was the demise of that game, similar to what happened in Winnipeg. Turnovers cost them. Same thing happened against uh, the Blackhawks. Turnovers, turnovers, defensive plays, miscues, and I'm not, don't get me started on, you know, Justin Hall on that Dominic Kubalik goal where he's, you know, coming over to – do a two-on-one where Christian Rubens already has his man kind of covered up and Hall leaves him wide open. So the fact that, you know, Mitch Marner is like, it, like Alex said, has been polarized because of his start and everything like that. He is a valuable player, no matter how you look at it. I mean, he is important. We're seeing it right now. That if you take him out of the lineup, the team is going to feel him especially his presence felt uh, his presence is going to be missed especially on the defensive end in terms of takeaways i'm just looking at natural statric right now one is first saw first in takeaways is mckenzie Weger. second alex petrangelo third william nylander fourth mark stone fifth mitch marner with 23 takeaways and then austin matthews is seventh in terms of takeaways at five on five in the regular season so far. So you're telling me that Mitch Marner isn't valuable. He's extremely valuable because when he's on the defense and when he's on the penalty kill, he's, he, he chases it down the puck. He's got a great active stick. He lifts it, gets possession. And then he goes into attack mode to try and set up Matthews and Marner. 
the biggest knock on Marner is just wanting him to shoot more. But his overall game, it's what you want to have. So again, I like I've been hard on Marner in terms of like his shot selection and him wanting to shoot more. But his overall game is fantastic. I mean, yeah, the points were going. He was getting opportunities, but it just wasn't converting. And that was basically the whole entire offense at that point. But his defensive game is by far one of the best in the league. And you're seeing the difference with him in the lineup previously, especially during that whole month in November where he started to get his game back. And what we're seeing in the last week or so without him in the lineup. So, yeah, if you still think Mitch Marner is invaluable, uh, look at the stats. Look at the game because what do you want? What do you want more? The, the evidence is right in front of your face right now at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm going to try to avoid the the hall the Justin Hall talk as well because I only have two beers sitting here and I don't want to I don't want to dig into a third. So, <laughs> um, but uh, no, I I do agree. I think I'm not always the biggest analytics guy. Like I I understand why they're used. I understand how they can you know really show the the I guess success of a player Importance. or the value value of a mm-hmm. player. Um but I think Mitch Marner is a perfect example of why people do buy into the analytics. When it comes to possession, the the amount of clock that he eats up when stick handling and, and, and puck handling and, and being in the offensive zone, that alone justifies what we see when it comes to, you know, your Corsi four percentage and, and what he does with possession time and offensive zone time and all the kind of stuff that, you know, the new age hockey minds are talking about. And I think that's, that's really not valued the same way amongst, you know, the, the average Leaf fan. And that's why people, you know, they're going to criticize him for not shooting enough. They're going to criticize him for not getting points in the playoffs. And, and yeah, those are big things. But at the same time, the value that he has on this team is exactly why he's where he is. It's, it's why he's making the money is. It's why he's been, you know, where he has finished in, in terms of points, total points over the last few seasons. Um, he's a value to this team. And, and I do think that, unfortunately, it's going to take him being out long-term for, for people to recognize just how important he is to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Matthews is Matthews. There's no, there's no arguing mm-hmm. what he brings to this lineup. The, Back in the... the- uh, rocket uh, scoring race right now. That's and right. It took that's him right. only a month to get that's back into it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, but, no, that's okay. Yeah. But it, the the support behind him, the supporting cast is Martyr, Nylander, Tavares, and the list goes on. And you can bring Kasha into this into this conversation because what he's done is is truly incredible. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to have an incredible season. Um, but I I do think Marner is an important piece to this this machine that's running right now in Toronto and it, you know we we kind of said it as a joke off the top that you know it's kind of a Kucherov moment where he's going to be a great addition in in a month or so when he does come back and this hopefully this team is is still running the way they are but I mean they put themselves in a good position to to kind of have this run where they're going to be a little iffy over the next little while um but yeah I mean he he's such an important piece, and I think we're gonna we're gonna really see what he uh, what he brings to this lineup um, without him there. So, uh, Peter, you mentioned Rubens, and in you know three games, the numbers are you know 
let, let's call it average for the 24 year old uh, minus two, four penalty minutes, five shots. But as outside of that, those, those prototypical prototypical stats, rather he's, he's done a pretty good job of, of kind of sliding into that, uh, that sixth spot on the, the back end for the Leafs. Um, Peter, I want to get your thoughts right off the top on, on Rubens. He was one of the players, well, called up in, early on in the year when Travis Dermott was down and his status was up near for the first game against, the, I believe, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And he was a name that I thought of as a potential call-up opportunity in the future just in case something like this happens. And lo and behold, Christian Rubens did get, did get called up. Uh, three games, again, excuse me, just looking at his underlying numbers, pretty good production. But I mean, aside from, you know, the goals for and goals against, but the actual shot selections, the scoring chances for, they're all pretty decent numbers um, for playing third line minutes. And I think this is, this attributes to like the depth that the Maple Leafs want to have on defense. This is a guy who wasn't drafted, signed out of the WHL, given an opportunity, had a long run or road to developing to be a, or get to this point, and he's he's a success story right now. Sorry, slip it of the tongue right there. Um, the, the fact that he is able to make the NHL reach his potential, I, I I think is a really great sign for him. I, I I don't see him being a major defensive piece in like in like the top four, but he's going to be a very strong defensive stalwart as a third pairing defenseman. And we saw that he's able to get shots um, on that very effectively. He's able to be physical in the corners. He's able to provide good defense and come back and help out. Again, not going to focus too much on what happened against the Chicago Blackhawks because, you know, we all know what happened. But at the same time, um, he recently got sent back down to the Marlies. And I thought that maybe he probably should have stayed up. I didn't think that he warranted a demotion because of what happened against the Blackhawks. But then again, maybe they want to get another defenseman in, which is why they brought up uh, Carl, uh, Carl Dahlstrom. Um, not something I would have done if they were looking for a defenseman. I want to try and see what Joey Duzak can do. So I, I, I do think that, you know, the impression is there. He's la- he, he made a lasting one with Keith early on. And I think maybe the short stints is another reason why that, you know, maybe they think he's got some other things to develop on, but I think the promise and potential is there for him to be a third pairing in between five, six, seven kind of defenseman for them in the future. Cause he's got the ability to shut things down. Yeah. I mean, he's been kind of thrown into a spot where, you know, um, you have to be ready to, to play with this team. And it's a, it's such a high paced game right now. Um, Alex, what are you, what are your thoughts on Rubens for, through his first three games with the Leafs? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was muted. Um, I think, I think the biggest thing um, that I took away from his first three games is the fact that I barely ever heard his name, which is what exactly what you want from a young defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, Consistency. Yeah. And he, you know, I thought he looked solid. He was stable. He kept the play going. Um, one thing I like is that, you know, he's an absolute tank. He's six foot five, like 220 pounds or something like that. And while he doesn't really have a mean streak, I did think that he used his body enough that, like, yeah, 
he was letting other players know like, Hey guys, like this is how big I am. And this is, uh, um, uh, this is what you're going to have to deal with if you're going up against me. And um, the one aspect of his game, and I tweeted this out a couple nights ago that I really like about his game is that he is very, very good at getting pucks through traffic. And, you know, he's got a pretty heavy shot and he had a couple of clean looks from the point that, you know, obviously didn't find the back of the net. It was, uh, it was either swallowed up by the goalie or missed the net by just a bit, but um, yeah, he, I mean, you know, we, we've kind of ridden Riley for this in the past. We rode Tyson Berry for it when he was a Leaf. Uh, it's been a bit of a problem for the Leafs in the past and you can kind of see it. Remember, I remember a couple say maybe uh how long ago would that have been? Maybe like a month ago or something like that when we were talking about how the Leafs only had one goal from their defenseman and it was Jake Muzzin. Um, yeah, I think if you look back at that, a big reason for that is because Le- Leafs defensemen in the past have been bad for getting shots on net. Uh, you know, a lot of muffins, a lot of uh, floaters right into the opponent's shin pads. And Rubens did the exact opposite of that. He got some nice shots on net. And I think, uh, especially for a guy like him who's not overly offensive to begin with, um, I think if he can develop a little more, develop his shot a little more and, you know, obviously work on his, well, not, I won't say work on his strength because he's already a bit of a tank. But I think as long as he, you know, continues to uh, round out his game and just, keeps developing with the Marlies. I agree with Peter. I think he could be a guy that slides into the bottom six because he's got the tool set to be able to be a guy like that for them. Yeah, yeah no, you I, mentioned, I just want to add one more thing. He does absolutely. not panic or, or fall under pressure. He is always in it. He does not give up. And kind of like what we saw with his defensive partner, Justin Hall, it seems like he always panics with a decision when the puck is on a stick. Rubens is very calm. He's very confident of what he's going to do. If it's a clearing attempt, he's going to get it out. So I think he's got that going for him as well. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, I agree with both of you. And, you know, we talk a little bit about the Leafs defense. Um, the last few games, obviously the loss to Winnipeg, um, then Toronto uh, beat Columbus 5-4. Uh, Tampa beats us 5-3. Five, five, and then an ugly game against Chicago where the Leafs pull out the win 5-4. Defense has been one of the biggest problems. And, you know, we talk about uh, – I think we've all been all over social media talking about the Holmas in uh, pairing and how, you know, abysmal they've been uh, this season. And, you know, now you've got Rubens in the mix. Lilligren's getting more more time with, uh, with Dermot and uh, Sandine obviously out. Alex, I'm going to throw it right back to you, but is this going to be a problem moving forward if, if the Leafs can't stay healthy? Because right now, when you have two defense out of the lineup, it doesn't seem like they've got guys that they can kind of slide in, and, and really they've got to lean on, on Justin Hall. Yeah, I mean, I, I truthfully don't think that it's going to be an issue with the guys injured. I mean, I think you got to consider that with, you know, the coming out of that Winnipeg game, Leafs, if I'm – if I'm recalling correctly, they lost Spezza, Sandine, and Dermot all at the same time, essentially. So, I truthfully think these past couple of games, while yes, there have been mistakes that need to be corrected, and there's parts of their game that needs to be that need to be rounded out. Um, I think a lot of it was just, you know, having to adjust and fit two new players into the system, and I, I think it was really just the. I think it kind of just boils down to the fact that you look at how the Leafs just came off their best month of hockey in a long time. And I think, 
after they've gone, they, they went that entire month playing as well as they did. We're, we're finally starting to see them go into a little bit of a slump. And I don't think it's anything to worry about. I mean, I think if Sandine and Marner are out for as long as they're expected to be, I think the Leafs are going to keep kind of experimenting with new things. And I think they're going to keep bringing in guys and getting them used to the system so that eventually they've got a, they've got a crop of players they can look to, to just jump into the lineup and fit right in. And that's not to say that Steve's and Rubens, for example, haven't fit in, but you know, these are two guys who made their NHL debuts three days ago. So obviously they're not going to hit the ground guns blazing. And um, yeah. So I think another thing to mention as well is we all watched the all or nothing documentary and you're, you all remember that part where at least we're sitting first in the division after the month of January, Sheldon Keefe wasn't happy, but jumbo Joe Thornton came in and was like, Hey man, we're first. Who cares? I don't think that's a mindset the Leafs have this year. And I think that, I mean, obviously you heard about how, when they were on the California trip, they didn't go out at all. They dedicated their entire trip to just going to practice, playing out the games and look what they did. They went and they won three games. That was the first time I can remember the Leafs swept the California road trip. That's normally a hell, a hell trip for them. I could be wrong, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's only the second time that they've ever swept the California road trip. Yeah. Just goes to show you every time they go out West, they go to California. It's always a disaster trip for them. It's like a fucking Halloween haunt, but (laughs) you know, it's just, I, I, I think that, the Leafs have a different mindset this year. And I, I, I don't really want to create a thing where it's like, Oh, we're, we're, we're really, everything's trickling back to this, but you know, you look at the way the Leafs lost in the playoffs last year and the embarrassment that came with it and the scrutinizing from the media. I think the Leafs have a different mindset this year that they just can't settle for anything less than the absolute best. And I don't think Sheldon Keefe is going to let them get to a point where, where this is an issue where they're winning games and every single game is a sloppy one. I mean, you know, I, I don't ever like being the guy that criticizes wins too much because in the end, two points is two points. You take that and run if you can get it. But at the same time, you don't want those sloppy wins to become a habit. You don't want them to be winning every game like that. And the Leafs didn't do much of that in November. They, a lot of their wins, pretty much all their wins were commanding. So, yeah, overall, I think, I, I think there have been a couple kinks to work out, but I wouldn't say it's much of a concern going forward. Even with Marner and Sandino, the lineup, I think the Leafs will find a way to uh, make up for their losses defensively and kind of work out some of the kinks that presented themselves over these last three games. Peter, I think we've talked about this on a number of occasions. Uh, now you're talking about uh, Jake Muzzin being your oldest defenseman at 32. You've got uh, um, TJ Brody at 31, and then you have Justin Hall at 30. Um from is this the is there a possibility that we see the Leafs make a move to to kind of solidify that back end, especially if this is you know the year? This is I mean Dubas has made it clear that he believes in this in this core, and when you talk about the core, Justin Hall and Travis Dermott are two guys that are not part of that. Um, are you know we mentioned it with Mark Masters off the top of the season here. Is this, you know, a possibility that we see one of these guys moved? I do think that if there is something that the Naples Leafs need to improve on, it is going to be adding another top four defenseman because there's no way that you're going to be if you if you have an injury to the back end, um, like you like we're seeing with right now, and Justin Hall has to be in your top four. There's no way that you're probably going to win with with him as your top as part of your top four because of the mistakes that he's making um you know a simple clearing attempt it 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 becomes the most difficult thing for him to do 
And we saw it last game. How many times has he said, like, taking an extra five seconds to clear the puck out? How many times he's curling back to try and give the puck to his defense, to his defensive partner. Meanwhile, there's already, he's already like bombarded with two players converging on him to try and get the puck. So I, I think they really, really need to address that because we've seen the way that Jake was in place without Justin Hall. And it's like a completely different story. So I think to me is we, we've heard his names come up in like trade talks. He's on Frank Cervalli's uh, trade bait list already. If the Maple Leafs need to make a move, you got to find another solid top four defenseman that could play with Jake Muzzin. Or if you want to like have Timothy Lilligren move up, I don't think maybe we've seen glimpses of it and how successful he is. If he's comfortable to assume that role, great. But I think maybe you find another a better replacement option for Justin Hall in that top four, because I think that's going to be very key for them going forward, having that two-way mentality. Um, kind of didn't have that with Tyson Berry two years ago. Um, it looked like it was going to work with Hall last year, but then we saw those mistakes happen and then carry over this year. Um, I, I, who they're going to try and bring in, I don't know. But they have to be looking at fixing that top four because, like Alex said, it's not a cause for concern right now, but it can lead to it down the line. And you, like he said, you don't want those habit, bad habits to creep in. But those bad habits have been there with Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin for the previous years or for the whole entire season. So I think maybe hang on to just Jake Muzzin for the time being, if maybe next year you see his play still start to regress a little bit more, maybe you consider trying trading him. But then again, his contract is up at around uh, just over 5 million right now. Uh, it's um, 5.6 actually for the next two years. So if you're able to move him, great. But I think maybe you still want to try and keep him into the fold because we've seen what he could do in the past as well. Yeah, worth noting that uh, aside from David Kampf, who who's you know obviously has a number of uh, defensive zone starts, plays plays the the penalty kill. Justin Hall has the worst uh, Corsi four percentage out of any Leaf um, that's played over twenty games. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think the writing's on the wall uh, in terms of what what the Leafs have to do here. Um, clearly. Clearly, Muzzin's not the guy to play with Justin Hall because we've seen what kind of damage opponents have done in in the Toronto zone when those two are on the ice, and and it's it's telling. And and I don't think Muzzin's the problem. I think we've seen him enough away from from Hall to understand that you know he's he 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 can play a strong game when he's he's paired with the right guy. Um, as for Hall, I think we you know his his regression this season is pretty significant to the point that the Leafs have to recognize that and, and understand that they made a mistake in protecting him uh, in the expansion draft in favor of, of Jared McCann. So um, with that, uh, there is one Leaf that we will not see with the big club this season. And that is Curtis Gabriel. And I know we were all kind of rooting for him a little bit in, uh, in preseason. He had a good camp with the, with the club and, even even uh, tucked, uh, I think, in preseason. So um, it was good to see him. Brought a lot of uh, positivity to the Toronto Marlies this year. Uh, but the, the Leafs kind of moved on from him and traded him for uh, Chad Chris to the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. 
Um, Peter, I, I'm going to get your take on this because Chris is a guy that we've seen play with, uh, you know, Matthews over the years in the, in the, the uh, development uh, program in the state. So what are your thoughts on Chad, Chris? Yeah, so that familiarity is going to be good from uh, the very beginning right now because of uh, their past history at the development program, as, as you mentioned. Um, considering where they were with their injuries and the calls that they're making, I think maybe you needed to move on from a forward. Sadly, it was Curtis Gabriel. I would have liked to have kept him, but, you know, this is a move that the least needed to make to try and fill out and get some depth, although not NHL depth, but like good minor league depth in the event of a call up that you could possibly bring him up and possibly insert him into the lineup because he is, you know, he, he's had good production in at the collegiate level, but has hasn't really panned out well, even at the AHL level. He's got really great speed and he's a fantastic skater, but I think there has been like a lot of injuries, concerns, um, a lot of inconsistencies with his play and his development. So maybe right now, again, we've seen how well the Maple Leafs have transformed players into and turning them into potential NHLers. We saw that with Alex Galchenyuk last year. We're seeing that with Josh Hosang this year. Maybe they have, with their development program, they could work with Chris and try and help him find his game and find that consistency in that level to maybe even earn himself a call up at some point. So I think, again, it was, it was obviously a minor league move, but I think something that maybe could lead to something in the future where maybe he does get into the lineup as a five, six defenseman or even emergency call up if need be. Yeah, Alex, anything you, uh, I mean, it's a minor deal, but anything you want to add to, to the Leafs acquiring uh, Chad Chris? Not really. I mean, I think it's a, it's pretty impressive that Dubas was able to turn Curtis Gabriel into Chad Chris, because I think Chad Chris has some potential there. Like you guys have been talking about and, you know, I don't think he's anything really worth, you know, celebrating in the streets over right now. I think he's, he's a guy that, you know, if you put in some of the, if you put in some effort into his development and try and get him going, maybe he could become something, but I think the bottom line is that he had more of a future in Toronto than Curtis Gabriel did. And, uh, it kind of gives the Leafs another option on the back end, and it gives them some depth on the Marlies. And, um, yeah, I mean, you got to wish the best of luck to Curtis Gabriel in Chicago. I mean, he he came to Toronto, and you know that he, he was wearing his heart on his sleeve, and he wanted to do everything he could to make the NHL and, like, serve the Leafs. And he did that for the time being, and I'm sure that once Kyle Dubas reacquired Kyle Clifford, he sort of – work something out to say, Hey, listen, like we, we, we want you to get regular playing time. It doesn't look like that's going to be here anymore. And uh, yeah, I, Curtis Gabriel is one of those guys that I'm going to be rooting for regardless of where he plays, because I think what he's doing in, in terms of trying to grow the game and make it a more accepting place for uh, all walks of life. Um, I think, I, I think that's the kind of voice that the NHL needs more than ever right now. And you know, we've talked about, like we talked about it with Sebastian and Avery on our show a couple of weeks ago. Um, these guys stepping up and uh, um, setting an example for other players goes so much, go, goes so much of a, so much more of a long way than some people might think. And Curtis Gabriel was a perfect example of that. You've got a guy who punches guys' faces for a living on ice, and uh, he's he's one of the main forefronts at the start at the front of the league, uh, encouraging people of all walks of life to get into the game and you know promote uh, anti-homophobia and racism and everything that's everything that's kind of been brought to fruition over the past couple of years in the NHL. So uh, he's a guy that, like I said, I think he, the NHL needs him. And I think uh, 
the game and the game in general needs him and uh, best of luck with him in Chicago. And obviously that's a pretty flawed organization to be going to. And hopefully, hopefully Gabriel can, uh, uh, can keep fighting the good fight and uh, find a, find a job in the NHL eventually. Yeah, I know. Perfectly said. Um, I think the way he opens the doors for so many more to be, you know, to become hockey fans or hockey players, um, you know, it, it just speaks volumes to what he, he brings to the game. And, and I'm like you, Alex, I think no matter where he ends up, I'm, he's a guy that I'm going to be cheering for. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, when, when all is said and done, we'll, we'll get a chance to get, maybe get him on the show and, and kind of shoot the shit with him. Cause I think he'd be a hell of a guy to talk to and, and give us some stories from uh, his playing days as well. So, you know, we wish him all the best and, and uh, you know, look forward to seeing what Chad Chris can bring to the lineup and uh, with the Marlies and, and yeah, well, you know, all the best to, to Curtis Gabriel. Um, before we get to NHL news, I do want to talk a little world juniors. Um, obviously we're getting into that time of year and some crazy coverage going on at the hockey writers from, uh, both of you guys actually, uh, in terms of world junior coverage, uh, leading the charges, Peter. Um, and, uh, then I, I do want to talk a little bit about some breaking news as well, because, you know, Alex, you mentioned uh, our conversation with Sebastian and uh, Avery a couple weeks back and um, racism in the game. And one of the things we, we kind of talked about earlier the, in the year was um, some stuff that went on in the Ukrainian Hockey League. And I'm not going to get into the details. If you, ha- if you don't know about it, you, you know, definitely look it up. It, it, it had to do with uh, uh, former UHL player Jalen Smerick um, and, and uh, racial racial act that was committed against him during a UHL game. Anyways, I, I did have a source uh, reach out to me today uh, to let me know that finally uh, IOC president uh, Thomas Bach and IIHF president Luke Tardif, uh, you know, were looking to investigate the activities of the Ukrainian ice hockey federation. Um, on top of that, uh, the, the belief is that uh, Luke Tardif was secretly or had it secretly arrived in Kiev, Ukraine um, earlier today. Uh, he's, he's going to meet with the managers of the Ukrainian Ice Hockey Federation without the group of teams, which earlier have asked Luke Tardif about investigation of the activities of the Ukrainian Ice Hockey Federation, including the racist scandal. So again, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking to reveal any sources, but uh, I sent this over to you guys prior to the show. And the way I understood it, and obviously we're going to stay on top of this story and, uh, you know, any updates that I get, I'll bring to, to the podcast. But um, my understanding is that Tardif, for one, secretly arrived in Kiev. Um, I, I guess it's not much of a secret anymore, but um, to, to kind of discuss what was going on in the UHL. Um, but on top of that, that the, the team that, uh, uh, Smerik was a, a part of is not actually involved in the conversation or the investigation. Um, and that struck me as odd. Uh, like I said, I don't have many more details. I'm, I'm still kind of working on, on getting a few more details, but I didn't know if any, either of you wanted to really touch on this or, or if you just, uh, you know, quickly announce it and we'll, we'll kind of pass over it. But um, Peter, you have anything you wanted to kind of add to this? Um. I mean, it's great that the teams, you know, sent a message saying that, hey, you know, you need to investigate it. 
great because that's a major step forward. But the fact that he's secretly meeting with out the teams that sent that message really is a really big head scratcher because wouldn't you, obviously you want to meet with the team that was, or the two teams involved and especially get to the bottom of this as well, because I mean, the player, um, I don't even remember his name uh, who made the act. I mean, he, he's back playing and everything's back to normal. Apparently there. Um, I, I, I do think that, they should be meeting with the teams that wrote the message to express their, how their, how so much change needs to be done to make sure that the league is more inclusive and more open for everybody. Uh, but the fact that, you know, he's secretly meeting with the other team as well, or the other teams involved, that it just doesn't quite add up. So I'm hoping that the investigation goes well and the fact that you know a great outcome could come of this or the right outcome could could come from this but the fact that you know he had to secretly arrive it doesn't quite make sense to me yeah alex uh, again more more just kind of touching on this because this is the first time that sticks in the six has ever broke news um frank saravelli style uh, but uh yeah i mean anything you kind of wanted to add um, honestly, not really. I think, uh, like Peter said, it's a very odd situation, um, that, uh, Smerich's team wasn't consulted and wasn't notified about this, this meeting going on. Um, I'm not going to sit here and ramble about nothing for the next couple minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm just as curious as you guys are. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching this story play out and see what comes of it. Yeah. Well, like I said, hopefully we kind of get an opportunity here to, to bring you more information on this story. Like I said, it's just kind of taking off now. Uh, I had a source reach out to me and uh, you know, kind of give me an inside track on this. Uh, hopefully we'll get some more details regardless. There's some funky shit going on over in the Ukraine and uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. International hockey always seems to have a fun twist, whether it be the KHL or the UHL. I think, uh, you know, you get a little, little taste of funky shit every once in a while. So, um international hockey though we'll stick with that for a second here as we talk about the world juniors team canada was announced today um we're early the wee hours of monday morning but uh sunday team canada was announced uh peter you're leading the charge why don't you take it from here yeah so seventh round pick in uh 2020 um i i don't i i believe Alex helped me out with the pronunciation. It's Ryan Torberg. Torberg, yes. Torberg. Okay. So, yeah, Ryan Torberg um, is off to a blazing start with the University of Connecticut this year with 16 points in 14 games, nine goals, and was caught the attention of Hockey Canada being a seventh-round pick in 2020, 213th overall. And during camp, he looked really impressive. He looked really good. Um, obviously it wasn't quite enough given the names that were available and how deep the team was, but hockey Canada was impressed with his development with the program and how far he's come. And I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter that, yeah, it's always disappointing when a player gets cut. I mean, we, we haven't seen a maple leaf, uh, prospect be a part of team Canada. I think in quite some time, I think the last player to do that was Mitch Marner. 
who was drafted by the Maple Leafs and played in the World Juniors. I could be wrong. Alex, I'm probably wrong. I believe it was Ian Scott was the last one. Ian Scott, yes. Yes. I'm pretty no. sure Ian Scott was there in 20, I want to say 2018 or 2019, but he was there, I, he was there the same year as Michael DiPietro. I remember that that goaltending tandem. Yes, yes, you are correct that he was at that World Juniors one goal one game. Yeah. Yeah, he was at that 2018-19 tournament. You are correct. So um Ian Scott was the last Maple Leaf prospect to wear the Maple Leafs, not Mitch Marner. Um but I, I, I tweeted out that, yeah, it was disappointing that he didn't quite um, make the team. Obviously, we would have loved to have seen it. But the fact that he's taken this much of, of a major step in his development is a prospect or something that fans should keep an eye on because he's definitely caught the attention of Hockey Canada. He caught the attention of the Maple Leaf scouting staff. So the fact that he's continuing to impress is something that we should all look forward to in the future. 16-year-olds to play for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Wayne Gretzky in 1978, Eric Lindros in 1990, Jay Bomeister in 2000, Jason Spezza in 2000, Sidney Crosby in 2004, Connor McDavid in 2014, and Connor Bedard now in 2021. Alex, Connor Bedard making the, the, the team and any takeaways that you have from the Team Canada announcement today? No, I mean, I was, uh, I mean, well, if you want to talk about takeaways from Team Canada's announcement, I guess we can go way back and talk about the fact they didn't name Brant Clark to their team. That that kind of, never didn't even invite him to camp, sorry. That really screwed me up. I wasn't expecting yeah. that. But, no, in terms of Connor Bedard, that, that's one of those things where it's like, yes, it sucks to see that Ryan Swarberg didn't make the final cut because it would have been great to cheer on a fill out a Leafs prospect of the World Juniors. But at the same time, there is going to be something so special about watching Shane Wright and Connor Bedard together at the World Juniors this year for Canada. I mean, you've got the, the 2022 projected first overall pick and the 2023 projected first overall pick on the same team. And, you know, having those two guys together, lighting it up for, the, for Team Canada, along with the prospects that they already have. I think Canada is building a real star-studded team this year, and I, I, I can't be more excited to watch it. I'm actually – I'm super grateful that they're playing in Canada this year, most notably actually playing out west because – um, I'm going to be going back to my, uh, my, my summer job and working working out of this warehouse, um, over the winter break. And my shift there is six until two 30 every day. So I'm not going to be missing too many games. I might, you know, at the very least I might, I might miss like the first period of some games that happen at two o'clock, but in terms of team Canada, I'm going to be catching all their games. And, you know, the world juniors, are, in my opinion, they make, they make Christmas so much more fun. They just make the holidays so much more fun in general. Um, I, I, the World Juniors are one of those things that I really kind of gained more appreciation for probably within the last five years, I would say something like that. I'd say 2015 more than anything was the year when I really started dialing in and paying more attention. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, and I, I cannot wait for Christmas to come and then to spend the next week just sitting on my couch watching the World Juniors, my favorite time of year. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, uh, like I said, sucks to see Torbert cut, but at the same time, watching Bedard and Wright together is going to be awesome. And obviously, Leafs don't have too, too many prospects there at the tournament this year. They've got, obviously, uh, Hirvonen and Topi Nemela who are going to do some damage for Finland. Got Matthew Nice, who's going to tear it up for the States. And I'm wondering, maybe, Peter, if you could help me out with this, or either of you, honestly. Is Rodi Amirov going to be playing for Russia this year? Nope. He's Amarov? 20 years old. He's 20 years old already, really. 20 years old, yeah. Oh, so he's sucks. not eligible at all. Wow, when did he turn 20? Oh, I guess, was it, doesn't he have a September birthday? Or am uh, I, 
believe he does. I, yes. I might be tripping. Yeah. Let me double check. He is October. October birthday. October. So he's still he's still early. Yeah. Okay. That sucks. But either way, I mean, uh, what are you gonna do about that? Um, it, uh, you know, the Leafs don't have too, too many prospects at the tournament this year, but I think all the prospects that they do have there are going to be slated to make a big impact for their teams. So I'm looking forward to watching the tournament on many fronts this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, Niamela if he can uh, look at going for a uh, top defenseman again. I mean, he had a hell of a tournament last year. Um, you know, Finland's going to count on both of them, as you mentioned, again. Um, but yeah, Canada uh they've got quite the powerhouse um final cuts were zach dean william dufour luke evangelista jack finley hendrix lapierre who people continue to sleep on i think joshua Waugh, ryan twerberg um and uh and defenseman uh damon hunt and vincent iorio so, I mean, some, some big names there. Um, returning players this year, Cole Perfetti, uh, Caden Gooley, and Dylan Garand. I also want to mention uh, Brett Brochu in that uh, because he's, he's a London goalie, and, man, he's, uh, he's had some incredible games for London this season, uh, really stolen the show for the, for the Knights. Uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It, it truly is for, for those listening outside of Canada, this is a religion to, to us. When we, when we grow up as hockey fans, this is, this is what we look forward to every Christmas and, uh, to, to get another opportunity to see a strong Canadian team playing in front of home fans. Um, I mean, guys, fans are back in the building this year. Uh, does it get any better? It does not. No. It does not. The fact that the fans are there, it, it just makes it some sort of normalcy at this point. So, yeah, no, we'll uh, we'll all be looking forward to it, and and back on Canadian hours too. So that'll be nice as well. We're not getting up at four o'clock in the morning to watch some <laughs> hockey, but uh, regardless, uh, that tournament kicks off uh, just around Christmas, as always. Uh, looking forward to it, and Canada should be a powerhouse once again in this tournament. With that, boys, I think it's uh, I think it's about time we jump over to NHL news. And I should mention we did forget one thing when it came to Leaf talk. Uh, Morgan Riley played in his 600th NHL game. Uh, worth noting that he currently sits five points back of Adam Fox this season for for points by a defenseman, 24 points in 29 games. So that contract, getting that out of the way, uh, definitely a big thing for him as well. Um, so congratulations to Mo on, on reaching the 600 game mark for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, NHL salary cap might as well. We're talking about the contract might as well talk about NHL salary cap. The projection is that next season, it goes up to 82.5 million. Um, they are, the discussions are that, uh, the, the players debt that they have to owners will be paid off in the next, I believe it was three years. Uh, so that's looking at 24-25 as the potential year that we see a significant rise in the NHL salary cap. Um, Alex, I mean, uh, I kind of tweeted out, let's go Leafs Nation, because I think 24-25 is kind of a great season for the for the cap to go up for Leafs. The Leafs, their core will kind of be nearing the ends of their, their five, six, seven-year contracts. And we'll be looking at uh, the potential of, of keeping 
these guys in town uh, and, and really significantly bettering the team potentially with the cap rising. What are your thoughts on the possibility that in 24, 25, we see the NHL salary cap rise? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's the season when they have to re-sign Austin Matthews, right? So that should pretty much shed light on how I feel about that. And Mr. Um, William Nylander. That's correct. Yes, and Nylander as well. That's going to be a busy year for Kyle Dubas. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's great. Obviously, you know, being a fan of a team that has so much money tied up in their star players. I mean, we obviously know Johnny's locked in for the long haul. Morgan Riley's locked in for the long haul now. Um we, you know, we talk about having to re-sign Jack Campbell this year, but I think obviously with with the cap being set to increase in 2024-25, I think that's uh, I think that's big for the Leafs, and um, not necessarily just the Leafs. I think it's big for the league in general, but um, for the Leafs specifically, they have uh, they they got they got some work to do. Obviously, right around that time in terms of re-signing players and bringing them back. So hopefully, the salary cap increasing uh, plays into that and helps them out. Peter, this is a team that's been criticized and crucified for their managing of the cap uh, and locking up so much money in their core core players. It's a team that couldn't bring back Zach Hyman this offseason and realistically looking at their bottom six, you're talking about, you know, Buffalo Sabre type contracts where you're signing them to league minimum, if not slightly more. Are, are the Leafs in a good position right now with what they've done cap-wise? I mean, the fact that they still managed to find value in lower-end contracts, kind of what we're seeing with uh, David Camp, Kasha, um, Bunting, Simmons, that's a – I mean, it's a good sign that you're finding great depth and that they want to stay and, you know, possibly take less amount of money to be a part of the bigger picture, and that's really great. But at some point – there is going to be a pay increase, but you also have to look at the fact that Jake Muzzin is going to be a free agent and TJ Brody and that alone frees up $11.6 million or $10.6 million. I cannot add up. I cannot do math. Sorry. So $10.6 million from two defensemen that you could allocate and split that up to give, you know, uh, Rasmus Sandin an increase, Timothy Lilligren an increase, sign other uh, death forwards to, you know, kind of like an Alexander Kerfoot type contract at 3.54 million. Um, so you have money to work with. And if the cap is going to go up in that regards, coupling with the amount of free agents that are leaving, you have something to work with now. You have more room, you have more options, and you're not going to be as cash strapped as you were previously in the last maybe five six seven years it's going to be different you're, you're still going to have to like work around the star players but i think they're going to be in a better spot no matter what yeah no i i, I personally love it i think it's perfect timing for the leafs you mentioned uh obviously two big names that they're going to have to sign that off season and uh couldn't be a better time for them to kind of you know get that cap relief um it's just leading up to that and, and i think seeing the cap jump a little bit to 82.5 next season is going to be a little bit of a, a boost for the, the Leafs and and for whatever reason they've been able to to maneuver around the cap with with the uh, salaries that they do have um, but yeah it's it's good news for the league especially with the way COVID hit the the, the league financially um, and you know I think it's a it's a great opportunity for this team to really to really manage 
their cap well, and hopefully we see a few more team-friendly deals the way that Morgan Riley signed with his 7.5 AAV. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be good for the league, good for good for the Leafs, and uh, you know we'll see what happens in 24-25. Um, one team that is struggling financially, and I mean, let's be honest, has for a very very long time, and kind of kind of relates a little bit back to Leaf Talk because there's so many rumors about Austin Matthews, you know, running from Toronto and signing with the Arizona Coyotes. Well, the Arizona Coyotes might not have a place to play as as Gila Arena um, (laughs) has locked them out because of unpaid bills or whatever. Human error. Human error. Yeah, is that, that that's got to be what they it forgot is, right? to they forgot they forgot to submit the invoice seventy one days in a row or whatever whatever it is. Let's let's also make note that this is this is like Gary Bettman's baby. Um, just another example of how Gary Bettman I think has failed the NHL in terms of like taking the Winnipeg Jets out of Winnipeg just to move them to Arizona where they've never really succeeded at at any point in their existence. So, um, I mean, Alex. You wanna you wanna touch on the Arizona Coyotes and their financial uh, depravity? I I, you know what? To. I don't know if there's anything really to be said about the Coyotes that hasn't been said a million times already. <laughs> yeah. I just it, it's just it's like a dumpster fire that you can't look away from at this point. And you know, at the same time, it's it's one of those dumpster fires you don't want to look away from because the headlines are so fucking entertaining, like. The, the Coyotes getting locked out of their own arena. And then I just sit there thinking, oh, yeah, I'm sure Austin Matthews is just dying to get down there. You're talking about a guy who's the star of the show in the hockey mecca of North America. He's best friends with Justin Bieber, for fuck's sakes. And, yeah, so he's going to want to dip for a, for a team that doesn't have a, an arena to play in and can't pay their players $40,000 signing bonuses on time. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. I, 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 that always makes me laugh. Can you even get those Bieber balls from Tim Hortons in uh, Arizona? Oh, no, you can't. And that's no, the biggest. That's the no. biggest issue there, man. And so, I think I that's mean, a saving I, grace right now. I think, I'm also I think gonna... we just. I think we just cleared the air that Austin Matthews will not be going to Arizona. We broke <laughs> it here first. first. Six and six. You cannot get Bieber balls in Arizona. Can I just make a point to mention that I've bought an unhealthy amount of those Bieber balls ever since they were released. And you know what, man? I don't know if it's even, I don't know if it's entirely because of the, the Bieber balls themselves or if it's just because it's been so long since I've had Timbits. But birthday cake waffle, I, I, man. I don't know. Birthday cake waffle. Oh, it's That's so, not my favorite one. What's yours? The chocolate chip sour cream. Yeah, I, oh, that's good too. Really? Because yeah. I was going to say my favorite is the chocolate white fudge. Okay, okay. Actually, those two are tied for first. I can't pick. But I, I, I like the birthday cake, but it's not my favorite. I like all of them. I like all of them, honestly. Like, I, I, I've, I've gotten <laughs> into an unhealthy habit of buying one every time I have a commute and just <laughs> snacking on those fucking Bieber balls while I'm sipping my coffee, <laughs> driving down the 403. Like, it's just... How many, how, Probably. Many, how many empty boxes do you have underneath your desk right now? <laughs> well, not underneath my desk, because I'd like to think that I do a decent job of keeping my area clean. But <laughs> you look at my bank account, and there, there's probably been several three seventy nine per dollar purchases from Timmy's over the past the past week or so. <laughs> so uh, give Tim's credit. I mean, they're delicious. They're good. They are. I, mean, I have oh, to. Man. Give credit where credit's due. 
my my wife was telling me uh, she's got a Timmy's in in the plaza where she works, and and one of the one of the employees there says that the the worst thing that anybody can do is order them as Bieber balls because I guess apparently people have been doing that. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I there's a sign that says Tim Biebs, but people are ordering them as Bieber balls. Bieber so balls, it's my go-to. And Bieber and, balls uh, would have been a more marketable name, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. Can you imagine what the uh, the fan base of of Justin Bieber would be? Uh, they they they'd go nuts for for the Bieber balls. <laughs> you know what? I feel like it's it's one of the. It'd probably have the same sort of reception as if you were to walk into uh, McDonald's and order a McGangbang. <laughs> Those secret menu items. Oh, oh man, God. yeah, I know. Because I every time I get a McGangbang, I order it separately. Like I say, can I just get a McDouble and a and a junior chicken or whatever? But I know some people who have gone in there and outright asked for a McGangbang, and I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, not all the employees might be might 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 be on uh, on board with that. They might not recognize what you're talking about right away, but mm-hmm. whatever. It's you know what we well, we really things. went off on a tangent, didn't we? <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna continue this for one second, okay? Because I, I, my, took my brother, uh, my brother-in-law to, we did his bachelor party a couple years back and we went to, on a little brewery tour here in London and we went to this one, uh, London brewing co-op and, uh, they had a kumquat sour and, uh, this was our third brewery. So we walked up and, you know, waitress behind the bar and, and I ordered the kumquat sour and sure enough, the four guys behind me acting like 12, 12 year olds that we are uh start giggling and she just looks at us straight face she's like seriously guys and then every one of those four guys proceeded to order the cum quad sour so, i can just picture i can just picture her going down going down the list you guys there it's like okay what can i get for you <laughs> cum quad sour <laughs> all right what can i get for you <laughs> I'll have what he's having. Yeah. <laughs> Come quad sour. <laughs> oh, just, uh, amazing. you know, it is one of those things. Beaver balls and come quad sours. Yeah. Sticks in the six is the only five-year-old podcast running. <laughs> That's right. That's right. right now. That's right. Um, but we do guys, we do have some milestones to talk about this week in the NHL. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury. And what a, what a moment this was for, for him. Um, reaching 500 wins in his hometown of Montreal. Uh, the way they stood on their feet and, and chanted his name. I mean, I think there's no better way to, to receive a guy or an opposing player when they reach a milestone like that uh, than, than what, you know, what he got in Montreal. And, and I mean, for Chicago to be where they're at right now this season, his numbers don't really justify what, what the what he's done uh eight and ten in 18 games uh he does have a 279 goals against a 913 save percentage but here's what's most impressive is that over his career 500 wins in 901 regular season games uh 69 shutouts a 913 save percentage and 245 or 255 goals against sorry Forbes <laughs> no no that's uh you know what I didn't even catch you, on to the fact that I said it until after you, just, you said nice you just gave me an R.A. Dickey knuckleball right down the middle for me to knock out of the park <laughs> yeah there you go uh he's now ranked third all-time in wins behind uh Patrick Waugh who's got 551 in Martin Broder 691 probably one of the more untouchable uh, records in the NHL right now. 
uh, in terms of shutouts, he is, um, I sh- wow. He's, he's still, he's still quite a ways down the list, actually 14th overall, uh, with 69 shutouts. And, um, like I said, among the, among the three goalies that have 500 wins, he has the least game pl- games played with 901. So, Pretty impressive numbers for a guy that uh, you know has bounced around a little more than I'm, I'm sure he would have liked. Um, but uh, again, doing getting it done in Chicago, making this team relevant again, and uh, yeah, what what more can be said about Mark Andre Fleury? Nothing. Nothing. Mark Andre yeah. Fleury is a legend. You know, he's <laughs> one of those. He's one of those guys that's just. He's got the one of the best senses of humor in the league, from what I've what I've read about him. And, you know, he's a prankster and he's one of those guys that he's just playing for the love of the game right now. And I, I truly hope that Chicago finds a way to move him and he gets to f- play out the rest of this year with the team that has a serious shot at contending for the cup because he deserves it. Once again, I know he's won a couple cups already, but you want to see the flowers succeed. And uh, yeah, just uh, great for him. I think we've had this discussion before, but safe to say that he's a, uh, he's a first ballot hall of famer when the time comes around. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. No question. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. Um, another milestone, Nathan Walker recorded his first career NHL hat trick. This is a guy who was born in Cardiff, Great Britain. Um, 2014, third-round pick, 89th overall by the Washington Capitals. His career numbers, 27 games played – sorry, 28 games played, seven goals, 10 points – he has four of those goals this season, including the hat trick, uh, playing for St. Louis now. But uh, what a what a great story! Here's a guy who's grinded it out for years. Uh, again, uh, a British-born player, um, which we don't un- unfortunately don't get to talk about a lot. Um, but he's a guy who who came over and and uh, simply doubled his uh, goal scoring in in one game with the with the Blues this season. So, um, Welsh-born Australian player. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, great, uh, great, um, great story. Like I said, I think, you know, you always like to see those guys kind of grind it out and, and get it done at the NHL level. And man, the excitement on his face when he scored that third goal was just, uh, you know, it's one of those moments that you kind of gives you a little bit of chills, regardless of who you're cheering for and, and, uh, good moment for Nathan Walker. Really great production in the AHL level too. So to see him get that at the NHL again, yeah, like you said, the hard work really definitely paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to throw this one over to Alex right away. The Olympics in jeopardy. And you had a tweet that came out. I want to say it was yesterday, maybe earlier today, um, yeah. where you said it's just it's just not worth it. Yeah, 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 it's just not worth it uh, for these guys. And and I want to get your thoughts on. Where the Olympics are at, um, obviously, we, you know, if you're following the news, the political aspect of the Olympics is just a shit show in itself. But when it comes to the players that are going over there, what are we talking about here with the, with the possibility of players still going over to the Beijing Games? Well, I don't know what the players, what the possibility of the players going over is, because I think it's one of those things that just comes down to um, whether the players want to go themselves or like who wants to go and who doesn't want to go. But I, I genuinely hope that none of the players end up going just because I, I, I remember I was watching the, the, the sports net panel at the intermission during the Leafs and Hawks game there. And they were going down the list of restrictions. And there was something like if a player were to get COVID-19 while he was out there in China, 
he would have to like the maximum quarantine period is something like three weeks to a month. And it's like, if that were to happen, like is, is anything like, I, I think something that myself and fans of all NHL teams can agree on is that if your star player goes out to the Olympics and gets COVID and has to miss a month and has to stay out in China for a month, is it really worth going to the Olympics for if your team's in the hunt for a playoff spot? And it's it really just, you know, for no, in Forbes, you mentioned the political landscape and everything, and that's a massive part as well. It's just, to me, the, this year's Olympics, especially hockey-wise, just don't have the same feel around them as previous Winter Olympics have. And, you know, I, I will mention right off the hop that I am a huge fan of the Olympics, and I'd, love, I'd much prefer any year to see NHL players at the Olympics because I think, you know, the Olympics are the best of the best. And if you're going to get the best of the best for hockey, you got to go to the NHL and get their top players. And I love the Olympics under normal circumstances, but this year I just don't see, I, I don't see a reason for it. I, 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 I really think that things are kind of in turmoil right now. And especially when you factor in the pandemic and everything, I just, I, I think the risks are too crazy and I, I'm not sure I want to see them go. I just don't think it's worth it. And you know what? This is, this is a bit of a selfish take, but I could also totally see somebody like Andre Kasha going out there and representing the Czech Republic getting injured and being out for the season in a game for the Czechs. I could totally see something like that happening. So that's a little bit more of a selfish reason why I don't want the players going to the Olympics. But overall, I just think that the, with the restrictions and the protocols that they'd have to go through if something were to happen out there and if they were to get sick, it's just – it's not worth it, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Peter. Um, what are your thoughts on the on the players going to the Olympics? Yeah, and even CJ came out with a, like a, len- a lengthy thread on the whole issue of it being problematic, the quarantine times, the length of it, the possibility that, you know, like Alex mentioned, if a player were to test positive, whether, you know, they're showing symptoms or not, they got to follow the quarantine rules because that's what it is there. And Again, yeah, like I, I would, I wanted to see Olympic hockey. I mean, they should have gone to uh, South Korea for Pyeongchang in 2018. I mean, that, that was just an absolute joke. And that was just Gary Bettman being Gary Bettman. Um, I, I wanted to see it this year. I think we were all excited. But if that kind of quarantine rules and restrictions happen, and let's say the tournament, the tournament's over, like let's say it, they managed to finish the tournament and then if a player tests positive, their their team is their team, the NHL team is going to suffer because they're stuck over there in quarantine before they have to come back and present two negative tests within 24 hours or in that period of time. And it, it that to me seems like too much of a risk. And I get that they wanted and fought for this for so for ever since uh, 2018 happened. They want to make it a priority. I think this year you should probably just let it go because I don't think it's that much worth of the risk to say that, Hey, great. You're playing for your country. You're putting on that Jersey. We all want to see that the best on best, but is it really worth it to possibly test positive and then miss out on the season when, when it resumes because you're there because of a positive test? I don't know. I I don't think so. I think I'm in agreement with Alex that maybe this year, hold off and maybe wait on until 2024 or 26, 2026, right? Yeah. 2026. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I'm in agreement with both of you. I think the shitty part right now is that you got guys like Crosby, who this is probably the last kick of the can when it comes to the Olympic hockey. Yeah. Um, Ovi. You've got, yeah, Ovi. You've got some of your best players in the game right now. And, and to see the powerhouses that would be formed by not only the North American teams, but, you know, you talk about Sweden, you talk about, um, you talk about Finland, Finland. and the youth, yeah. the youth that you have in the game right now. Um, and the, the opportunity that you have to see them at a best on best tournament. Um, it, it, it does hurt. It does hurt. I think it hurts the game and, you know, all around to, to, in terms of building that, you know, worldly fan base. Um, but I, I do agree. I think, I think, you know, there's just too much unknown right now to, to send these guys over and hope to hell that they, you know, they can all stay healthy and that they're not going to party. I mean, it's kind of naive to think that they're not going to go over there and, and, you know, enjoy themselves as well. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see the players go over, but, uh, you know, that's, again, it's, it's still kind of up in the air, but uh, I think we're kind of leaning towards, you know, another Olympics without, uh, without NHL stars. So it'll be interesting to see, but I, I, again, I think it's, it's unfortunate because you have some of the, some players at their, uh, at their prime in the game and, and uh, it would have been nice to see, but uh, Hey, Gary Bettman still wants to get the world, the world cup of hockey underway again. And that was uh that was a crazy tournament the last time around. So who knows, who knows what's going to happen, but um, Olympics definitely, definitely in question as we move towards Beijing 2022. Um, I I do want to bring up Ben Bishop, uh, obviously retiring um, this week, uh, played in 413 career regular season games with St. Louis, Ottawa, Tampa Bay, the LA Kings and finishing off his career in Dallas. Um, Bishop had 222 wins, 128 losses and 36 overtime losses in his career. He had a 232 career goals against and a 921 save percentage and 33 shutouts. He finished in the top 100 all time for wins and shutouts. Um, a guy that's who, I mean, his career was plagued with injuries. Uh, he had two teams in St. Louis and Ottawa who gave up on him very early in his career and uh, really made, made himself known in Tampa Bay. But um, Peter, any thoughts on Ben Bishop as he goes out uh unfortunately because of injury yeah i mean that that is a really tough way to go out too i mean he had knee surgery what worked his way to try and come back went for a conditioning stint and it just didn't quite work out so obviously you got to feel for him in that regard where he where he had that path and it just i mean I, i can't imagine being in that situation where you work hard to get to this point just to get healthy and then to call it quits i mean as we said many times before, well-being and health first of the player. But I do hope that, you know, he still stays a part of the organization because he 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 was a really major factor for them and the reason why they've had so much success in the past. Um, I mean, if he stays on in like, you know, like in a management role, coaching, developing kind of spot, so be it because he really deserves it. I hope he stays a part of the game. Anything to add there, Alex? Yes, I do have something to add, uh, despite what my little mute button had to say about it there. Um, so I want to quiz you guys here real quick and see if you can uh, see if you can come up with the answer here. Guess what player 
Ben Bishop was traded to Tampa Bay um, from Ottawa for? Ammon? Was it? No, nope. it, it was a defenseman, no. wasn't it? Nope. Oh shit, I can't remember. None other than Mr. Corey Conacher. Corey Conacher. Oh man. Corey Conacher. Oh. Corey Conacher and a fourth round pick from Tampa Bay to Ottawa in exchange for Ben Bishop. Look Steel. how that trade turned out. At one point, Ben Bishop was only measured to be as valuable as Corey Conacher, and now look where he is. Deal. Wow. Wow. And then I think we talked about this pre-show here. Um, that's when the Sens had Robin Lanner, um, Ben Bishop, and Andrew Hammond. Hammond, as yeah. The, yeah. As the trio. And they, they decided to go the route of Robin Lanner and Andrew Hammond. Andrew Hammond. What a poor, poor decision, decision. by Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> Wow. I will actually, I will actually mention not to be the actually guy, but Andrew Hammond actually didn't burst onto the scene until two years after Bishop was in Tampa Bay. So, who, so. there was a there was a third goalie there then. Would it, it would it have been Craig Anderson? Maybe it was Craig Probably Anderson. Yeah, it had to, I, it had to have been. Yeah. It had to have been Anderson still. Anderson wow. later and Ben Bishop, and I think I think at the time. It was Anderson, and then Bishop and Laner were both kind of the up and comers, and they ended up picking. Bishop over, or sorry, picking Laner over Bishop, and then Laner ended up getting traded in a couple of years, anyways. So, wow, um, that's wow, that's I mean, that's mind blown. That, that is mind blowing because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's very surprising. But uh, yeah, you're you're 100 right. Craig Anderson ended up playing 24 games for the Sens that season. Finished 12, nine and two. With a 941 save percentage. 941 save percentage. And a 169 goals against. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. I um, can't wait until four episodes from now. Yeah. Nice. I'm going yeah. to be an absolute child for the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to find like all these stats that come back to, to, to the number yeah. 69. We'll, but, rank, uh, we'll, we'll, rank, like, we'll rank the player, all the players everywhere, number 69. <laughs> number yeah. one, Doug Glatt. Number two, Andrew Desjardins. And that's where the list ends. I'm pretty uh, sure. Igor Larion of the second in, in the KHL. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't, can't disrespect Igor Larion of the second. Yeah, yeah. Um, before right, we... I want to go watch Goon right now. <laughs> Pick 69. Trust me, it's hilarious. <laughs> uh... Is that number taken? Before we close it out here, boys, I did want to mention one tweet from the always outspoken player agent, Alan Walsh. Can I, before you get into this, can I just say that I have no idea what tweet you're talking about, but when I opened up the prep and I looked at Alan Walsh tweet, I was like, this is going to be fun. Yeah. (laughs) Every time there's an Alan Walsh tweet, it's a fun time. It'll be fun. It's, it's. Which one though? I'm going to read it out. I'm going to read it out. So on December 10th, Alan Walsh tweeted, Heard certain NHL senior executives have been threatening to withhold access to mm. leading members of the hockey media behind the scenes over their coverage of the Kyle Beach scandal. Hope someone asked the question right out right out in the open. Has the NHL really <laughs> learned from this? Um, no. no. Yeah. Nope. Nope. So, <laughs> I mean, I think you guys answered it. Um, but 
what's crazy about this whole situation that Gary Bettman was kind of asked about like where his status is in terms of staying with the NHL. And his response was, I'm going to be here for a long time. And crazy considering that there were owners that were, you know, concerned about his leadership. Yeah. I mean, not even that, but what, 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 is so frustrating is that he he said it with so much confidence and almost like in your face fuck you that he, it's not gonna happen he he basically was just saying you know what nothing including this kyle beach situation is gonna tear me down from my pedestal and that's what pissed me off the most i think and the fact that now teams are gonna kind of push back against media i mean there's a there's a right to information there is a right yep. to information and that's, you know, number one in journalism school is there's a right to information. And the fact that teams are going to try and hold back because of the way that teams handled what is so clearly a situation that needs to be talked about. Um, you know, I, I have to, you know, shout out to Alan Walsh. I, I used to think when I first started writing about hockey, I used to think he was just a dick. Um, and, you know, now I literally, everything that he tweets out is so important that, you know, shout out to Alan Walsh and, you know, sorry for thinking that you're Dick. Hopefully you can come on the show sometime. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that, but uh, nah, it's, it's just really. a shitty situation. Yep. It just, this, this whole story with Kyle Beach just keeps continues to, you I know, mean, we could have a whole episode on this again, but it's just not, I mean, it is worth it because it is important, but at the same time, we're saying the same like, things over and over again. Yeah. Like we're going to be repeating ourselves like we have for the last maybe four or five episodes ever since the Kyle beach story unfolded. And we saw that, you know, crapshoot of a press conference that he had with Bill Daly. I mean, yeah. let's face it, it. It is what it is. Just like the Arizona coyotes garbage. Yeah. I mean, obviously we would like to see change. I mean, it's got to happen up at the top. It ain't going to happen because I, I, I do wish that the owners have the sense of decency to vote him out and vote somebody else in because this is not a good look at all. That's it. That's. Yeah. I, I, that's I heard, it. I forget who it was, but I heard somebody on another podcast basically say like Gary Bettman's not going out until he retires. Simple as that. And, and it's, it really is unfortunate. I think there needs to be more Alan Walsh's in the league to, to really mm-hmm. recognize what's going on and, and, and more guys like, uh, um, like Rick Westhead, who, who bring Katie light Katie Strange, Katie Strange. Uh, yeah. Strang, yeah. Um, people that bring light to the, the, the shitty, shitty sides of the game. But um, anyways, I, it's, it's shitty that we have to close out this way, but um, you know, it it is something that I want to touch on and, and uh, it needs to be talked about. Like you said, it needs to be talked about. Um, yeah. Anyways, gentlemen, Alex, what do you got going on for the week uh, before we touch base again next uh, next Sunday? Nothing too crazy, to my knowledge anyways. Uh, that Something could obviously change between now and then. I think I'm looking to get a piece out on uh, on the Leafs, albeit the few Leafs prospects that are at the World Juniors this year and kind of what to expect from them and their roles on the team. Um, and then I'm also looking to get a piece out just once again, comparing Michael Bunting to Zach Hyman, because, you know, I, I don't want to be Why that not? guy. I don't want to be that guy, but you know, it's, 
Bunting is, and that's another guy we could have talked about on the episode today. He's he's got something like 13 points in his last 11 games or something like that, and he's got I think he's two points shy of Zach Hyman at five million dollars cheaper. So um, I've been very impressed with him this season. I'm basically just going to write a piece kissing his ass. So money ball contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, what he's been able to do is is pretty incredible, and to replace a guy like Hyman, obviously we we talked about how tough it was going to be. Um, and then to see, to see Bunting come in and basically do what he's, he's been able to do is, is pretty impressive. So, um, good stuff. Uh, Peter, what do you got going on for the week? Uh, world junior stuff, world junior stuff, uh, prospects to keep an eye on 10 things to watch out for during the tournament. Um, that's going to be coming up and just, keeping away managing the whole entire thing right now. That's about it. Actually, I want to point out one more thing. I just realized that since Canada's P uh, did just release a roster a couple hours ago, uh, I'm going to be putting together a players to watch piece for team Canada. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Cause there are a couple of guys, two guys that I listed right off the hop will probably be hand in hand in that piece. So <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff, boys. Uh, well, as always, um, it's, it's been a hell of a week. Leafs nation, um, not sure whether to hold their breaths or, or to breathe right now with, with the injuries happening the way they are, but, um, breathe, breathe, breathe. breathe. Everything's, gonna be okay. everything's going to be just <laughs> fine. Uh, but yeah, guys, uh, as always, you know, thank you for joining us for episode 65 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barrichini. You can follow Alex Hobson at a Hobson media or you can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes. You can check out the podcast on Twitter at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. We are running a first goal contest uh, on Twitter, which is always fun to get involved with. Uh, updated standings will come this week. One of these pucks here in behind me is up for grabs this time around. Uh, so definitely check us out. Uh, we'll send that out to the winner um when the time comes shout out to ryan zeus fleming for a fantastic intro to our pod um for those want that want to listen head over to spotify itunes wherever you download your podcasts and give us a listen give us a download hell hit the subscribe or rate button and uh, give us a review because we always love hearing um from our listeners for those who want to watch and see these beautiful faces uh check us out on youtube um we've got some great content coming out all the time and uh hey if you want a vintage vintage jason spezza t-shirt sweater crew neck they make great christmas gifts so check them out on our uh red bubble store as well as for us we look forward to touching base with you guys next week with another week of leaf hockey in the books that's it for us here at sticks and Sticks.